Hello and welcome to The Nate Show. You could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with me and I appreciate that. Don't forget to follow along on social media at The Nate Show 423 and especially that Facebook page where I'll be uploading uh, links to the YouTube videos that I put out. I'll also be doing some Facebook exclusive videos. I'll be doing a bunch of stuff on Instagram and Twitter here in the near future, so make sure you keep your eyes peeled for that sort of stuff. And it's uh, it's the summertime, so I'm not going to waste a lot of time, you know, talking about different random stuff. We're going to jump right into this. A lot of you have seen... Uh, on social media over the last few days there was this viral video of a fan at a Cubs game a a ball was uh, uh, tossed in the front row to a a child that was in the front row and he kind of dropped the ball rolled under the seat and the guy behind him picked it up and held it and he was sitting there with his wife or girlfriend or whatever and it kept getting reposted people were saying yeah don't be like this guy because you know he's a jerk you should have given the kid the ball and and there were all these rushes to judgment. It got shared so many times. I just remember thinking, I wonder if there's any more context to the situation, um, because you can just you can cut that video to be whatever you want it to be. And, and it, what ended up happening was uh, a day or two later, the news came out. There was another video that came out that showed him earlier in the game uh, helping the kid get a ball. And Javi Baez on that second attempt over there didn't realize that the kid already had one. So when he threw the kid the ball. And it got away. It was just kind of like whatever. And the guy picked it up, not really thinking. He's like, hey, you know, I already helped this kid get the ball. No big deal, right? But I just found it strange how quickly people just rush to judgment without really knowing the whole thing, which is, I mean, it kind of is what it is because when you see something, you just take it at face value. You don't have the context behind the situation. You just look at something, see it, and make, you make an immediate judgment without having all the information at hand. And in that scenario, either way, it's not really that big of a deal. I honestly believe that just because you're a kid doesn't mean you're entitled to a baseball at a baseball game. But at the same time, decency should win out. And and given the scenario, if that had been the first time that this happened, then the guy probably should have, especially if he realizes that the ball wasn't meant for him, you know, like do the right thing. But in this scenario, it turns out he did do the right thing. We just didn't have the information for that. And I try not to venture into political stuff, but honestly, it just kind of reminds me of what happens with all the stuff that goes on, you know, in the NFL. And people are saying, well, I'm not watching the NFL because, you know, people are kneeling for the anthem or I'm not watching the NFL because they have issues with domestic violence and this and that. And honestly, it I think a lot of times people just sort of look for things Um one of the things that stand-up comics talk about is they they come up with an idea and then they have to prove that idea. But it all starts with an idea. So if I think, you know, such and such, this would be funny. What can I, how can I tell this story in a way that people would find funny? And what I found is, is that when you give human beings a sort of a reason to not like something or to drift towards that negative mindset, that they jump on it like a fish jumping on some bait. Um, I don't know how well fishes jump, but you understood the reference. Um, if, you, if you're not going to watch the NFL, you probably weren't going to watch it anyway. You're probably just a casual viewer. The people that love football or love whatever, they're, they're going to keep watching it. And the people that don't, it's not a big deal. It's, it's the same concept as if you work retail and you know a customer has a bad experience and they say, well, I'm never coming back and shopping here. And the employee is always just like, yeah, okay. I mean, what, like, you weren't going to come back anyway. Like what I'm going to sleep an hour less tonight just because you said that, like my mindset's always been, and I'll get off this topic, but my mindset always been, if I, if I like the sport, I'm going to watch it. If I don't really care much about it, I'm not going to watch it. What someone does or doesn't do during the anthem or off the field, 
I can personally not like a specific person or not, you know, be okay with a certain person and their actions. But as far as the sport goes, I'm either going to watch it or I'm not. What someone does off the field or even on the field in that scenario, as far as the anthem goes, doesn't inform my decision in any way. It's not like if I call a plumber to come, you know, fix the toilet in my house, I'm not going to ask him, do you stand for the anthem? Do you, you know, how's your relationship with your wife? Like, I don't care about any of that stuff. Just come over and fix my toilet and leave and I'll pay you for it. Like, it doesn't inform my decision. It's not like the NFL is some workplace that's supposed to be different just because you think it's supposed to be different. It is what it is. And people have their own beliefs and have their own off the field issues and what have you, just like the people in the office that you work, the people that work for the plumbing company, the lawn company, people at the McDonald's that you go to and get your biscuits every morning. Some of that same stuff is going on with those employees, but you don't take the time. You're not going to protest McDonald's just because the assistant manager kneels for the anthem. Like it doesn't really matter that much. You don't ever process that, but because football players are visible and I'm not even going to get into the race relations aspect of this or the political side of it, but just because it's visible and it's something for you to be negative about, you complain about it and feel the need to post on Facebook that I'm not going to watch football anymore, which isn't so much you having a problem with what's going on on the field or off the field. It's you having a problem with no one paying attention to you. So you feel the need to post on Facebook and say, Hey, look at me. I have an opinion too. And again, I always point this out. I'm, I realize that it's a little bit hypocritical. I'm sitting here talking to a microphone, giving you my opinion, but it just is what it is. If you don't like it, you don't like it. It's, it's fine. If, if it's not for you, it's not for you. I, I say at the end of every episode here, I said, I hope to have you back next time. And if not, I get it because I do, it's not some cute thing that I'm saying, although I do think it's kind of funny at its core, but I, it is what it is. So let's move into something else, something a little bit lighter. You know, I was actually in the mall uh, earlier today doing a little bit of shopping and just kind of, I was mostly just kind of window shopping, but I did go in and uh, bought myself some jeans and whatnot. And uh, I was, I started thinking, man, it's, I know it's late July at the time I'm recording this, but it's, it's almost hoodie season. You know, it's that time where the weather changes a little bit and, um, yeah, I I love it. Anytime I feel a little bit of a breeze in the air, I'm like, oh man, I get to go throw my hoodies on here really soon. But uh, I started wondering, just started thinking, like, where did hoodies come from? Like, who invented that? Where was that idea sort of, you know, formulated? Where did that come from? And to my surprise, uh, a lot of you see now the brand, uh, the Champion brand, has made a comeback over the last year or so. Uh, that was a brand that I grew up with. Because being a big Michael Jordan NBA fan, like every NBA jersey seemed like was made by champions. So that little champion logo. And since last year, you know, the t-shirts and, and, you know, stuff like that became popular again. And basically invented the hoodie back in the 1930s. It was originally made for, it was something that was made for laborers in the New York market to kind of keep uh, warm while they were working. You know, whether it was a steel mill or, you know, a job like that. I was having trouble thinking of a good example of a job. But, you know, those jobs where you, it's like the, your traditional uh, factory work. That's the word I was looking for, like a factory job. And it's cold, especially in the wintertime up in New York and something to keep your head warm when you're walking home or doing what, walking back and forth or even around at work. And then it became, it was part of, it was, it really started to be geared more towards, because um, it was originally marketed towards laborers, the commercials and stuff like that. The ads were for people that worked those factory jobs. And then it sort of transitioned more towards the athletic thing. And Olympic athletes started wearing them and it, it kind of took off from there, but it didn't really become a big cultural thing until really probably the mid seventies. And in New York city, uh, a lot of graffiti artists would wear hooded sweatshirts to 
sort of maintain this level of anonymity as they were doing what they're doing. Obviously, you don't want to get caught. And that way, if, if someone sees you, you have the hood up over your head, it kind of makes it harder to decipher who you are. And at the very same time, on the West Coast out in Santa Monica, the same thing was happening. Uh, but it was, wasn't for grief. Uh, excuse me, graffiti artists, it was more towards uh, skaters. And there was this new wave of skateboarding that was going on, these very aggressive, they called them the Z-Boys. A lot of you have seen, there's a Dogtown and Z-Boys documentary that came out in the early 2000s. Uh, Very good. Uh, A lot of you have have heard of that. Uh, But that sort of wave took place. And again, it was for, you know, if the cops pull up and you're skating where you shouldn't be, they can't, you know, identify you if you got the hood up over your head. So that was kind of where that came from. And then one last opportunity that it really had to really ingratiate itself into the mainstream culture was in the uh, mid 90s in 1993 uh the uh, enter the wu-tang album had them on the cover with hoodies on and that was it was the 90s was really the time that it started to become a, a hip-hop culture thing and that was at a time where hip-hop was becoming really really mainstream for the first time you had the whole east coast west coast thing and then all of a sudden you know outcast came out and said you know the south got something to say and so hip hop was at the top of the world there in the mid nineties, Biggie, Tupac, that whole deal. And all of them were wearing, it seemed like every rap artist was wearing hoodies. And that was really sort of where the culture took off. And so I, I just found some of that information interesting. So I figured I'd pass it along. Uh, but that, to me, that's my favorite thing in the world to throw on. It's just, it's almost always comfortable. And I feel like it, it looks decent as long as you're wearing one that's, it's fairly clean, you know, but uh, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of people use them for whether it be to work out in or do, you know, some work outside that's such a functional outfit it's one of the greatest clothing inventions ever invented in my opinion so i figured i'd just pass that information along and there's really only one more topic to cover um, i mentioned before that i'm going to be doing a uh, college football episode here in a few weeks so have it on video i did one last uh, late last summer uh, with my buddy nathan Wampler. we'll be doing another one again and i just wanted to give some information uh, going into that and i'll probably give this on the video too but I started thinking because living here in East Tennessee, a lot of UT fans around here, and a lot of people really, really excited about Jeremy Pruitt being the coach. Uh, if that name sounds familiar to you and you don't really keep up, it's he was an assistant coach uh, under Nick Saban whenever he was at uh, um, Alabama. He's also been a defensive coordinator for Florida State the year Florida State won a national championship. He's worked for Georgia. He's under Mark Rick. So he's he's been kind of all over the place, but from by all accounts a very very good coordinator and someone that people are really high on as far as uh as far as being a uh, and a lot of times we just assume that because you know they worked for it's like in the nfl if they worked for bill belichick we just assume that they're going to be a good coach doesn't always work out that way and it's been kind of the same thing with nick saban we just assume that because someone's coached under his regime before that all of a sudden you know they're going to be the next big thing and and maybe he will maybe he won't but i just wanted to give some stats here of these are in the last 10 years, just some notable coaches that have gotten their first head coaching job uh, from being, they went from being sort of the hotshot assistant to being a head coach of their first major job. And there are some varying results here. So I'm going to go through that. And by the way, I just want to mention this. I'm not hating. I'm not a hater, you know, when it comes to Tennessee or Coach Pruitt or anything, but let's not forget that he was like their 20th choice. You know what I'm saying? Like, there were there was a Greg Schiano thing, and they went through like seemed like twenty other candidates before they settled. I'm using the word settled on Jeremy Pruitt, and Tennessee fan base is rabid, it's passionate, and they're behind him a hundred percent right now. 
They were also behind Derek Dooley. They were also behind Lane Kiffin. They were also behind Butch Jones. So I'm not saying he's going to be like them, but I'm just going to throw that out there. So anyway, in 2008, Houston hired Kevin Sumlin. He was the hotshot offensive coordinator. Uh, I believe he came from Oklahoma and very successful at Houston, 35-17, and 17, but he left to go to Texas A&M. I mean, Houston, one of those jobs, you're not going to win a national championship at Houston. So it is what it is. The one, the exception of the rule, uh, as far as this whole list goes, is 2009 Florida State hired Jimbo Fisher, who had worked under Nick Saban at LSU and that had spent some time uh, as a coordinator. And, uh, you know, he's at his career at Florida State, he went 83 and 23, won a national championship in 2013, and left also, he also left for Texas A&M. They were five and six whenever he left, though. So he led them to a 5-6 and six record last year, which was kind of strange, but I don't want to get into Florida State talk because I'll just get angry. So I'll move on. 2010, uh, Florida hired Will Muschamp, and I just remember Will Muschamp was, like he was the head coach in waiting at, I, for, I forget the order, but he was the head coach in waiting at Texas at one point for Mac Brown. And then all of a sudden, he was the head coach in waiting at Auburn. It was, I may have that backwards, but he was the head coach in waiting at two different jobs. And then all of a sudden the Florida job came open. He took that job. He went 28 and 21 at Florida. There was a four and eight season in the middle of that. And then the two seasons that he's been at South Carolina, he's gone 15 and 11. So it's not exactly like he's, you know, setting the world on fire as far as his record goes. There's a lot of people that believe that he's going to do big things at South Carolina. I honestly don't see it, but that's just my opinion. Uh, 2012, Cliff Kingsbury, former quarterback for Texas Tech, took the Texas Tech job. He has since gone 30 and 33 there. Uh, in the same offseason, 2012, Kentucky hired Mark Stoops, defensive coordinator uh, for Florida State at one point. He has gone 26 and 36 in his career at Kentucky, made some really boneheaded plays, uh, decisions. I remember Florida ended up scoring two touchdowns against them last year just because Kentucky only had 10 men on the field. And Kentucky had timeouts at the time that each of those happened. One of them was actually coming out of a timeout. So they came out of a timeout with 10 men on the field. So kind of know what's going on there. Vanderbilt hired Derek Mason in 2013. And I know it's Vanderbilt, but his record's 18-31. and 31. Uh, One of the more successful ones, it, uh, uh, 2015, Georgia hired Kirby Smart. He's gone 21-7 in his time at Georgia. They were a few seconds away from a national championship last year. Uh I won't mention that because I don't want to make any Georgia fans mad, but second and 26. Anyway, same offseason, USC hired Clay Helton, and they, he had coached as an interim coach for a game, I believe, and helped them win a bowl game. Uh, but then in, that was back in 2013. 2015, they hired him full-time. He's gone 27-10, and 10, but last year was kind of a letdown. They had national championship aspirations and didn't really reach those aspirations. And last offseason, 2017, Oklahoma hired Lincoln Riley. He's he went 12-2 and two in his first season there at Oklahoma. They lost in the playoffs to Georgia. So I give you all that information just to kind of point out that that hotshot coordinator at their first big-time job, only one of them has ever won a national championship. And that was Jimbo Fisher, obviously, at Florida State, and that took about five years to accomplish. So one of the things that I know for sure about Tennessee fans is that they're not exactly patient, and it worries me because I do think that Coach Pruitt will end up being a good coach. And I do believe that the fan base right now kind of sees that, hey, six and six, seven and five would be a good deal for us this season. 
but they're going to expect what happened at Georgia, which was Georgia goes seven and five in that first year under Kirby Smart, and then immediately they're in the playoff race the next season. You know, and they're like I said, a few seconds away from a national championship. So I'm hoping that, and maybe that will happen with Tennessee, but I, I honestly don't see it happening. I'm hoping that they give Pruitt at least five years to really build the program. I mean, if they gave Butch that long, they might as well give Pruitt that long. Uh, I really believe that he's got a good head on his shoulders. I just, I really get frustrated with the idea of the coordinator being the savior because it, it, like I mentioned, I showed the stats. It hardly ever works out that way. So I just take, you know. Take your time. Be patient with him. If you're a Tennessee fan, listen to this and just understand that, you know, Alabama's won five out of the last nine championships. So odds are you're not going to win one anytime soon anyway. So if you're Tennessee or someone out there that just hired that hot shot coordinator as your new head coach, just give him time. Be patient. See what happens. And, uh, you know, it is what it is, honestly. So that was a uh, sort of a quick hitting episode uh, for this week. I know, like I mentioned at the start of this, it's summertime. People are out swimming. They're out doing different stuff. It's it's you're really getting those yeah, those last moments of you know real summertime in before school starts back for a lot of people, and, and this and that. So I just want to give you kind of something to listen to, you know, some mindless entertainment. Maybe you're driving, you whatever, just something to, to he- just hear me ramble for a few minutes. I appreciate. Uh, sorry, I hit the microphone there. Anyone that, that tunes in, listens to this, I totally appreciate it. And uh, the podcast is available. I mention it all the time. It's available on Apple. It's available on uh, TuneIn. It's available on Spotify now. Uh, Podbean. I actually took it off of YouTube. I'm kind of experimenting with some different stuff. Uh, but it's available pretty much anywhere you get your podcast from. Uh, new episodes every Wednesday. New videos every Friday. I actually just posted one. Uh, as I'm recording this, I posted a Nate Does Some Things episode up today. Um, on Tuesday, so make sure you check those out. I'll be doing a brand new Nate Does Some Things episode here in the next few weeks, so keep your eyes peeled for that. But again, I appreciate everyone for tuning in, and I hope to have you back again next time, and if not, I get it. <laughs>